0: I'm author and publisher Tracy L. Slatten. It's my belief that the most interesting, creative, and original voices today are heard outside of the big corporations, studios, and galleries. Individuals of courage, inspiration, and vision are seizing the opportunities to create and promote their art themselves. I'm here to support them and to bring their stories to you. On this show, I'll interview independent artists of all kinds, unusual thinkers, and even some healers about their process. How do they do it? How do they start with an idea and bring it to life in the world? This show intends to illuminate the journey. Feel free to call in to 516-453-6052 with questions or live chat with me at blogtalkradio.com slash Independent Artists Thinkers. Great to have you with us. Hi, this is Tracy L. flatten hosting Independent Artists and Thinkers. I am so happy to welcome you to the show. I've got a great show lined up for you today. Um, I also want to say I'm back and it's Great to have the show back on, and uh, all through the hiatus, people were listening, and I'm so happy that so many people are listening to the show live and in the archives and in the iTunes podcast channel and in Blueberry and Stitchers, so thank you so much for listening, and I hope you're enjoying the guests and the interviews, because I really am. Um, I created this show to support those brave souls who are operating outside the structures of the big established corporations. As the intro to the show says, I intend to illuminate the unusual journey and to bring it to you. I'm interested in alternatives to conventional thinking and conventional answers. I'm interested in creativity, fresh ideas, unusual perspectives and originality. And this show aims to bring you models of people who embody those qualities. So something I've been thinking about and started talking about it in the intro um, towards last spring and that is this, every spiritual act is an act of defiance in a materialistic world, which I think will be an interesting thing to think about in the context of today's interview. Um, please do call in with questions and questions and comments and comments at 36052. You can also live chat me at blogtalkradio.com slash thinkers and the chat room is open. So if you're listening, go ahead and log in and ask a question of our guest, who is Jennifer Grossman, who will be fascinating. Email me in between shows if you'd like to suggest a guest or if have me ask questions of a particular guest, and that's, you can reach me at Tracy at Tracy and Tracy is spelled C I. I'm um, Also, please remember the podcasts are available in the iTunes podcast channel and also on Blueberry and on Stitcher. I think they're also on Overcast, so there are lots of ways to listen. Um, And then in terms of my own work, I wanted to remind everyone I have a new novel out, The Year of Loving. It's starting to get some great reviews now that people can think about something besides the election. I also have some upcoming author events, so I hope you'll show up. I will be at the Hamilton Grange Library on January 28, 2017 at 3 p.m. That's one of the New York public libraries. And I will also present at the Riverside Library, another New York public library, on February 11, 2017 at 2 p.m. So that will be fun. So I hope you can show up and say hello. I am so delighted and honored today to have as our guest Jennifer Grossman. With a career spanning public policy, journalism, and corporate management, Jennifer Grossman has worked to help people live healthier, freer lives freedom is something, anyone who knows me knows, Freedom is really important. That I personally believe that you can either be about freedom or you can be about power. You make that choice. So I really support Jennifer and her desire to help people lead freer lives. As CEO of the Atlas Society, she leads the 25-year-old philosophy think tank in promoting the moral foundations of a free society. With a focus on personal ethics, the Atlas Society prioritizes student outreach with creative educational programming programs ran, ranging from a viral Draw My Life series to the Atlas Art Contest to campus screenings of Atlas Shrugged and online introductory courses to Objectivism. Previously, she helped launch a new lifestyle site for Laura Ingraham. As one of the founding ed- editors of LifeZet, she originated content on medicine, fitness, and diet. As senior vice president at Dole Food Company, she was hired by Chairman David Murdoch in 2003 to bring the Dole Nutrition Institute to life. During her tenure, she published a wealth of educational materials, launched websites and social media platforms, oversaw laboratory operations, managed a diverse team of researchers, marketers, and scientists, and created a variety of programs. Previously, Grossman served as speechwriter to President George H.W. Bush, 1989-1992, to 1992, and was invited to join President George W. Bush Jr.'s administration in the same capacity. She also served as senior writer to the National Commission on Economic Growth and Tax Reform, led by the late Jack Kemp. Grossman has also written speeches and articles for top CEOs and entrepreneurs, chief among them the late Ted Forsman, whom she helped launch the Children's Scholarship Fund, which has awarded over- million in education assistance. Grossman served as Director of Education Policy at the Cato Institute from 96 to 99. Her articles have appeared in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the New York Post, the Los Angeles Times, the Weekly Standard, the National Review, Washington Times, and the Women's Quarterly, among many others. In addition to commentary on MSNBC, CNN, and CNBC, she has frequently appeared on Larry King Live, Hannity and Colmes, The O'Reilly Factor, and Politically Incorrect. A graduate with honors from Harvard College, where she studied government, Grossman spent summers interning for the State Department in Paris, France, and later with the office of the Prime Minister of Jordan. Born in New Delhi, India, Grossman is fluent in French and proficient in Portuguese, Brazilian Portuguese, and Spanish. Currently, she splits her time between Washington, D.C. and Malibu, California. You can find out more about Jennifer at www.jenniferagrossman.com. Jennifer, hello. Welcome to the show. Hey, Tracy. Delighted to be here. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm really glad to have you. So you have an amazing career, Jennifer, and there's a lot to talk about. But I'd like to start with my, especially the Washington Post op-ed piece. So, I mean, the Wall Street Journal op-ed piece. That'll be fun. But let's start with my usual opening question for my guest because it situates listeners in who you are and what you're about. So this is it. And it's a big question. So take it, run with it, and do what you want with it answer it in your way. How did you begin your journey? And what has it taken for you to arrive at the place where you are currently? What training did you have? When did you know you were going to be involved with journalism, speech writing, corporate development, in the Atlas Society? Was journalism, politics, or Ayn Rand a major presence in your home when you were growing up? What did you think you would be? Start with your childhood and lead up till now
1: okay well I can do that I just did a draw my life of that very question so it's I had to give a bit of thought to it Um, and it started in India I was born in New Delhi my parents were in the Peace Corps my father was a a doctor my mother was a teacher and a social worker and um, when I was there my mother got very sick and I had to be sent back to the United States and Spent some time being raised by my grandmother, who was an artist, a designer. She was the first female president of the American Society for Interior Design, so she really gave me a deep embedding uh, desire to um, see and create beautiful things and express our values through art. Uh, I grew up in Massachusetts and my parents sent me to public schools. It was a time of uh, integration and busing, and um, in Massachusetts a very liberal state, that was kind of like a uh, test tube for a lot of policies. And uh, I hated it. I I hated school. I would still wear my uh, saris and bells from India and wear my dance outfits, and I was a little bit of a, a misfit. And um, it was a time when I experienced what others now has become a topic that we talk about, which is bullying, but uh, I experienced it not because I you know I had a, a sexual orientation or or because of race or because of you know uh, weight, but I experienced it because I love to dress up and I love to live loud and I love to work hard and this inspired. Envy, and so even though i, I wouldn't be able to um, articulate that as a as a evil as Ayn Rand later would, it embedded something in me, and then when later i I discovered Ayn Rand, I discovered Atlas shrugged, I discovered uh, the virtue of selfishness um, it really resonated because i had I had experienced it um, firsthand so as a result of that experience I said, you know what, I'm not gonna be popular, I'm not gonna to try to please people, there isn't anybody anything I can do really. When I asked the woman the girl who was bullying me, like what what can I do to make you stop, she said, Well, you should kill yourself. Ah, so I realized that awful. there really isn't any pacifying people who who really just see you as somehow the fact that you have virtues, or the fact that you have something, that takes away from them. That that you become part of their zero sum life. That that what you have has caused them to have less. And so uh, I just said, you know what? I'm going to focus on myself. I'm not going to focus on trying to get approval from other people. Uh, I'm going to build my own self esteem. I'm going to work really hard. I'm going to try to get into the best school. And I did. Um, and I was thrilled. And I got into Harvard. It was a whole new world open to me. I studied government. To me, growing up in a again a very liberal, democratic household, that was considered: if you really want to do something good, if you really want to be idealistic, if you really want to change the world, you should go into government. So I, uh, I did. I, I graduated. I went to Washington D.C. I, I got a job as a speechwriter. And I had had the time of my life. I worked my my heart out. I didn't have all of the right connections. Uh, You know, my father had not been a Republican fundraiser, but I I knew that, you know, with hard work and with creativity, I could excel. So after uh, a time at the White House, I went on to um, land a job as a policy wonk at the Cato Institute, which is a libertarian think tank. That was about 20 years ago. And that is where I discovered Ayn Rand, and I discovered this author who had come here as a refugee from totalitarian communist Russia, where her family had everything they owned, their their money, their business, their home, uh, stolen from them, taken from them by force. Mm -hmm. And that uh, she saw all of the destruction that was... um, created by these values that, you know, we are a brother's keeper. We must sacrifice for others. The the collective is more important than the individual. You must comply. And she just saw that this was uh, terribly destructive. She escaped the United States only to find that those same values were being glamorized and celebrated. And she, you know, she, she could have you know, said, oh, well. I'm just I going to write copy to- script for the rest of my life. But she really devoted herself to warning people about these dangers, and she did that in her books.
0: I, I just want to say in terms of that, I talked recently to two people who were Russian. One was an Uzbeki Becky man, obviously well-educated. He came to do something in a professional um, way for me and my husband. And then um, another mom at my daughter's school who came from Russia in the United States, so her parents are Russian, um, I guess Ukrainian, so they, they both came from Soviet Union that, that pre-collapse. And she said to me that her parents couldn't believe Americans want to be socialists, having escaped communist Russia. And the Uzbeki man who, who I met yesterday said the same thing. The people who've experienced it can't believe the way Americans glamorize socialism. I just thought that was interesting because I, I had those experiences this week.
1: Listen, that totally resonates with me. My house was built by Poles who had also escaped communism. My architect is Polish. My all the builders were Polish, and and they, yeah, you know, I was shocked that their kind of political views uh, were so um, stridently uh, pro-capitalist, pro-individualist, pro-freedom, uh, and so. But it raises the question, so what? how does it happen that after, you know, we've seen the failures of communism, of Venezuela, of North Korea, of the USSR, uh, of Cuba, all of this suffering, um, Cambodia on, like, massive scale, all of the death and destruction and suffering it's caused, that we have in this past election... Uh, that Bernie Sanders, a socialist, gets 54% of the vote, Hillary Clinton, 34% of the vote. Why, Why is that? Is it because Bernie Sanders was such an attractive candidate? I think that it's because, you know, we talk about economics all the time, and we say, hey, you know, haven't you learned your lesson? That way doesn't work. This way works. But facts... And lessons and economics 101 is not really what the soul needs. People as human beings, we want fairness. We want morality. We we need philosophy. That's why we had religion and have religion. People want to know, who am I? Why am I here? How should I interact with other people? And that's what philosophy is about. We're a philosophical organization. And Ayn Rand well, I, created I a philosophy believe, that addresses that.
0: Yes, but I sort of believe that the left has appropriated one of the great threats to the ideals of the Enlightenment, and that is political correctness. And they've created this narrative where if you're not a socialist, you're a racist. You're a, therefore a very bad person. And I think that this is very dangerous. Um, but I think this is the moment to sort of talk about the op-ed piece that you put in the Wall Street Journal that's created, you know, a little bit of scandal, a little bit of interest. Do you want to tell us about that? Can you love God and Ayn Rand? Yes.
1: Well, it just goes to show that political correctness and, uh, Uh, conformity and rigidity uh, is not just relegated to the left. There are uh, plenty of people that are uh, supposedly defenders of free speech and supposedly defenders of individual thought um, who uh, take great umbrage when you try to question some of their dogma. And I simply was raising what I thought was a pretty simple question. It began for me after we did this Draw My Life of Ayn Rand, which got 1.1 million views on Facebook alone. And I'm in the comment stream. That was a
0: great video. That was
1: a great video. (laughs) That was so much fun. People loved it. But I'm like, this is also, for me, it's not just an educational thing. I'm doing research. So I'm in that comment stream every day, and I'm looking and seeing, okay, where are we on the edge of the iceberg where stuff is breaking off and falling into the water? What's going on? And I'm seeing over and over again people saying, I can't believe you would read Ayn Rand. She's an atheist. And, you know, oh, don't you know she rejected God, and so that's why everything she said is wrong. And I'm looking at these people, and I'm thinking, you know, this is strange. I don't necessarily think that these look like they're religious conservatives. Some of them, I think they just hate Ayn Rand and they use that because they know that hey, that's going to play. It's going to play to to well, America. Jennifer,
0: Jennifer, don't you think the notion of personal excellence and personal self-responsibility is terribly threatening to people? In my opinion, which is, you know, my opinion, um I think socialism is is, you know, the social philosophy of the lowest common denominator. And when you start saying capitalism, ingenuity, personal excellence, personal best, you know, I think people get very, very threatened. That's one of the things I'm wondering about. What's your experience? Yeah,
1: I would have to agree that objectivism is not a philosophy for losers, okay? It is a, a philosophy for people who want to be winners, who want to improve themselves, i mean we just hired this fantastic young woman nicole sanders and uh she was in a very dark place she had some dependencies she had some personal issues that she really felt if she just kept on going down that road she was not going to make it to her 25th birthday and she discovered ayn rand and red atlas shrugged and even though she was not like what anybody at that point would have considered a winner, she said, I actually am, and I can do better, and I can rely on myself, and she did. She went to school, and she ended up suing her university for violating her uh, freedom of speech and winning and then becoming a a very famous student activist and now joining the Atlas Society. So, yeah, I I do think that for some people that that they really – Again, they just have this view that if somehow someone is is doing well, then it, it takes away from them. But in fact, it's it's quite the opposite. If somebody's doing well, they're creating a path for for you to follow.
0: Well, and so in your, I just want to go back to the op ed piece. You, the question, the title is, "Can you love God and Ayn Rand? Can you?" What was your thoughts on that?
1: Well, I was taking a look at this comment stream, and I was talking to people that. Uh, were other Ayn Rand fans like Randy Wallace who wrote Braveheart and Secretariat and We Were Soldiers, like Andy Puzder, he's a friend of mine, he's CEO of Hardee's and Carl's Jr. And these were both religious men in their way uh, that Puzder is a Catholic. He made all of his six kids read not just The Fountainhead, but also Mere Christianity, before they could get their driver's license. And uh, Wallace, Southern Baptist, but also he wrote the most amazing script, that original script of Atlas Shrugged that was done, um, and that unfortunately never got made. So uh, it was done for Angelina Jolie. So I was like, well, yeah, clearly these people, there, there are. And so if somebody is saying, oh, I can't read these books, or don't read these books, which what I was finding. Most people were saying, you know, like, I'm trying to get people through this gateway. I'm trying to mm-hmm. get people to pick up the books. And I feel like I've got people here, there, and they're shouting out, don't go there. Don't go in that doorway. Your soul will be endangered. You know, you'll, like, become an atheist. And I'm like, just read the book, okay? People aren't born <laughs> objectivists. but and, and Ayn Rand understood that. She understood that. And that's why she didn't make atheism like this, the main central theme of the book. But yeah, it's, it's there, but it's quite possible for you to read the books and, and take away a lot of other things that I think were the main points about reason, about the individual, about people's right to live their own lives the way they see fit. And so I'm just trying to, to get people to read the book. And I feel like that the left has, has taken this, and the right, has taken this like spatula for for years, and they're hitting us and and saying, you know, hitting us with the atheism spatula, I'm just like taking it away, put that down. You know, shut up and let's let's get down to business. Let's read this book. So, what I, the, the irony is that while I got a tremendous, I got hundreds, thousands of, of responses from people who thanked me for reading, uh, for writing that, and I, I feel bad because I, I'm still way, way behind in responding to people, that I got uh, attacked by the purists by those that proclaim to be the keepers of objectivism as it is properly understood. And uh, I'm like, hey, guys, I'm on your side. Uh, I'm trying to help you um, have more people read Ayn Rand. They'll end up going to more of your conferences. And so it's just ironic that the whole theme of Atlas Shrugged was people trying to be Atlases, trying to, to do things to save industries and having uh, the naysayers pulling them down and finally saying, what the heck am I doing this for? Okay, you guys go knock yourself out, right? And that's mm-hmm. what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to save Ayn Rand. I'm trying to bring people to this philosophy, but first to bring them to the books. And I've got the people that are supposed to be on my team just, you know,
0: well, <laughs> you, faces. Well, you've got to you got me to reread because I had read um, Atlas Shrugged years, you know, decades ago. And after you and I talked at that amazingly gorgeous house of yours in California, I went home and read the fountainhead. And what you're talking about reminds me of a quote that I actually typed up for this interview in the fountainhead, which was amazing. It could have been written now about the art world, not about architecture. It was, and about socialism and the left. Um, so in the book, Dominique is, and I have um, a centennial edition by Plume, and it's about page 435. So Dominique is talking to Peter Keating. He talks about a book he read, The Golden Gallstone. He says he liked it, and he says, why? And Dominique says, oh, I read the same book review in the Sunday banner. And he says, oh, I read the book itself. And she goes on, that was nice of you. It was considerate of the author, toward the author. I'm sure she likes that people read her book. So it was kind to take the time when you knew it in advance what you'd think of it. so And I find that that is so applicable today and the way so many, even very well-educated, well-to-do people, especially in New York City, the way they feel about the New York Times. That incredibly biased newspaper tells them what to think and they feel virtuous by having the... I mean, I remember a few years ago, I was out for a drink with this woman who's a doctor. She's a medical di- doctor you know, well-known in her field, which I, I won't say. So we're meet, we met for a drink, and I said, well, I hope, the, we t- somehow the New York Times not doing well camp. and I said, I hope it folds, I think it's great. And she turned to me and said, with horror in her voice, if the New York Times folds, how will I know what to read? And I looked at her, <laughs> shocked, and said, you'll decide for yourself what to read. But I realized that this is sort of this you know it's like this infection it's like it's like a herpes of the brain of people who want the new york times or some other appropriately validated institution to tell them what to think and they don't want to think for themselves so whether they're the purists saying well you can't have um god if you, you can't love god if you love ayn rand or if whether it's you know people saying well you know you can't like Ayn Rand she's a capitalist or people saying you can't like Ayn Rand because um she's godless whatever it is you know you find people being told what to think and then they have group think and then they feel virtuous thinking that way right no
1: I think people should go back and read the books for themselves the people who really say oh I hate Ayn Rand I I think I have met maybe one or two in my entire life that actually read the books. But the people who say, I hate Ayn Rand, she's this, she's that, they never read the books. So uh, read the books. Go read my uh, Wall Street Journal op-ed. It's on the Atlas Society Facebook page. And go and listen to what the critics have to say, and then decide for yourself. I think the most important thing is that we, we get a conversation going uh, and that we have some perspective. I think so many times people, I, and I my heart goes out to them. I have been in the think tank community. I was in it 25 years ago. But fortunately, I've been out of it long enough that I can come back and I can say, hmm, all right, well, doesn't look like much has changed. Uh, why are you guys focused over there? Do you even understand? Who, do you, who are you talking to? Are you talking to yourselves? Or do you want to talk to people and bring them in? Why aren't you on Instagram? We've got the best channel, the Atlas Society Instagram channel. Why aren't you doing videos like Draw My Life? That's what we're doing. Why aren't you trying things that are new, like our art contest in which we're trying to expose artists? to ideas that are maybe different than the echo chamber of the same old ideas that they get all the time. Ayn Rand was an artist. Yeah, she's celebrated and reviled as an intellectual, as a writer. But first and foremost, she was a writer because she had a vision of the world as it should be. She had values, and she recreated that, that world, that reality, according to those values. And she was a good artist because she transported people you know, that when when people will read her books, say, "Oh, I I couldn't put it down for two days." It's like people that go and they see Sabin's sculptures, and and they're just like in a trance. You know, you can't pull them away mm-hmm. because you know they really have been transported to a, a different reality and a reality that they want to be in. I mean, that's the thing about Atlas Shrugged. These are the characters. That you'd want to hang out with—they're like really cool people that are doing things. They're not the losers, you know. And the same thing with like Sabin's works—they are heroic. They are heroes. His World War One I memorial—I mean, these are people helping each other. These are people that are uh, making really difficult choices and in, in serving their nation and fighting for American values. So. Um, I, I think that that is the purpose of art. And I think that you do that in your novels. I think that Sabin does that, Michael Newberry, um, Agnieszka Pilat, Judd Weiss. These are all of the judges of our art contest. And they, they're not like creating images, and you're not creating images of people that, that are just to be for shock value or to be pitied. They're, they're creating images of people. That inspire us to be better people, and I certainly feel like that's what Ayn Rand has done for me.
0: I that is beautiful, and I agree. She inspires me to be better as an author for sure. Um, I'd like to take a quick break. I'm going to put you on mute and play a quick commercial for my book, since you brought them up so kindly. So thirty Hold on, thirty seconds. When you find an
1: author you love, you read everything they publish. International best-selling author Tracy L. Slattin is one of those writers. Her book, Immortal, is a rags to riches to burnt at the stake story of an orphan boy in Renaissance Florence. Broken is the story of a fallen angel in Nazi-occupied Paris, and her award-winning romantic paranormal dystopian after-book series. Also, her bittersweet sci-fi romantic comedy, The Love of My Other Life. Read one and you will be hooked. Find all of her books at TracyLSLattin.com.
0: Jennifer? Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about the Atlas Society. I know it can be found on the web at www.atlassociety.org. So what is it? How can it help and benefit people?
1: The Atlas Society has been around for 25 years. It's devoted to philosophy, specifically the philosophy of Ayn Rand and the principles that she advanced, reason, benevolent self-interest, achievement, individualism, freedom. And we've done that through educational seminars. Um, the Atlas Summit has been going on for, I think, 27 years. So there are places where people can come together. They can learn more about the books. They can get deeper immersed. Lots of publications. Our founder, David Kelly, uh, has written some incredible um, papers and, and books that have really taken objectivism and I think made it, you know, even better in, in some of the areas that, where certain values such as benevolence were there, but not, uh, not developed. And so continuing to have scholarship on this important philosophy. Now, what I decided to do when, when I came in in March is I said, all right, who do we need to connect to? What is the situation on the ground? And what I have found is that the situation on the ground is that no one knows who Ayn Rand is, no one under 25, they haven't read her books. It is complete blank out. So this is fabulous because I don't have to argue with people about, you know, these kinds of things, atheists, non-atheists. I can just tell the story as I see it, and that's what I did in the Draw My Life video. That's what we are going to be doing in our next two Draw My Life videos, which will be shortly released. And those are based on the lives of characters in her books. So, so we cool. do. Yeah, we have reading groups. So we just wrapped up a reading group for Atlas Shrugged, which people can join. We're going to be having a reading group of the Romantic Manifesto and of Fountainhead. Uh, we are creating an online course on objectivism and uh, we have a, a lot of events and conferences. So in uh, a couple of I weeks, have
0: yeah. I have a suggestion for the millennials and I, and my oldest daughter, um, Jessica, who's wonderfully brilliant and intellectual and extremely far to the left. So she and I don't talk politics, but she's applying right now for um, film and TV uh, graduate school and you know a lot of millennials like to make videos so I know that the Atlas Society is doing an art contest and maybe you could talk about that but why not sponsor a video contest as well like I think a lot of these kids they have their own YouTube channels people like my daughter and these millennials were very conversant with film and video maybe you could have a video contest on the theme of Ayn Rand or something Um, I think you might get some interest
1: I I think that's a great idea, actually. And as our mutual friend, um, Diana Davis Spencer, uh, suggested that we could do a video contest. I think one of the challenges is that for, uh, you know, even the Draw My Life videos, as simple as they look to do, they're not that simple to make. And so, you know, not that many kids have the investment of, $20,000, $30,000 Twenty thousand dollars, thirty thousand dollars to to pull off um, something like that. But I'd love to talk to your daughter about what she's doing, and see if there is a way that that we could leverage video. Because as you said, you know, people are doing their own their own podcasts. They're doing simple animation. Well, maybe make and, it face,
0: Maybe make it iPhone videos. You know, uh huh. Uh-huh. These millennials are creative. I mean, I I like the millennials. They're really interesting. They're really their own generation. They're not like I was kind of between. Uh, my year of being born was between um two different generations. So I but I like the millennials. I'm at the end I, I do too. at the end after baby boomers and before Gen X. I'm so I'm in that year or two there's a two year stretch. But I like the Millennials. They're they're interesting. They can do wonders with like an iPhone. <laughs> it's it's so true. And and that's you know, I've I've done a lot of uh I've I've
1: done a real strategic realignment at the Atlas Society and bringing on people like Nicole Sanders um, who recently gave a, a keynote speech to Fire the group that defends free speech on campus and then um uh, Xavier Chavarin, who uh is doing outreach to our um to the Latino community and um uh, Vanessa Saravo, who's still in school, but, boy, she's uh, just a whiz at creating videos and creating graphics and um, has had incredible ideas. So, you know, you have to uh, be – you have to learn. It's not, it's not that we're just teaching younger people. We have to learn from them and um, have them be the ones that can reach other young people. And, and we're doing that. We've got uh, an incredible partnership with Turning Point USA, someone that you should speak to. It's the fastest growing conservative group on campus, and uh, we're sponsoring their winter activist retreat. We're working with the Students for Liberty. We're going to be sponsoring their 10th annual conference in February in, um, in Washington, D.C., and uh, with, other, with other groups. So I'm, I'm so, it's like a shot in the arm. I'm so excited about uh, the future for the Atlas Society. And I, and I really, I, I need fresh ideas. I need, I need criticism. I welcome criticism. And, um, and it's just great to be here.
0: That's so cool. How have Ayn Rand's ideas made an impact on your life?
1: Well, I think, one, it made, it, it gave me a much thicker skin, you know, uh, I think one of the m- my best assets that i've had is i I really don't care that much about what other people think of me, and that is really frightening <laughs> to some people <laughs> I think it's frightening to to my founder sometime um, but uh that really is is to draw your self esteem from Um, from your own achievements, from your own values, from having integrity and following what you believe to be the right thing to do and not seeking uh, approval of others. I also, when you know, I had a a big upset in my life a few years ago. um, There were arsonists in our canyon and 55 homes burned down, including my own. And uh, when, so I, you know, or as I like to say, beamed off the face of the earth because it, it 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 wasn't even like it was a burned so, down the, house, it
0: was dust. <laughs> the beautiful home I was in that's more recent then.
1: That was built recently? Yes. Yeah,
0: so that's the house that I rebuilt. And
1: that that's the one that I that's rebuilt with, home. as I mentioned, my my conservative, uh capitalistic um uh architect and, and builders from poland but uh you know it was it was pretty devastating i i just i i wasn't properly insured i lost i was i had been away so all i had was really a, a roller and a and a suitcase and so i lost everything you know i had ever owned or created or you what know what did you learn like, from that
0: how how did that evolve inside you
1: what i learned yeah, is that i i can deafening? i can learn just about anything that, um, you know, you can't move into denial. Reality exists. You can avoid reality, but you can't avoid the consequences of reality, as Ayn Rand would say. So uh, a lot of people were surprised by how quickly I rebuilt with all of the horrible regulations and not having the money and all of that. But um, I just did it by applying myself and figuring it out. And other people just... They just kind of, I don't know what they did. They kind of, you know, just uh, couldn't recover and they couldn't believe, they couldn't accept that this is a terrible thing that's happened to me. Now I've got to deal with it and go forward. So, um, And it also made me feel that, uh, you know, I can go through loss and life is so much about loss. Um, you know, we lose, we will ultimately lose our lives, okay, or we'll lose the world, as Ayn Rand would rather say, but we'll lose aspects of our health. We may lose our loved ones. We'll lose our friends. And finding the, the resilience to, to go through those changes and to, to not let those losses defeat you um, is a really very important life skill. I think one of the most important How did
0: you develop that? Skill. How did you develop the skill of resilience?
1: Uh, I think in, in a way that I, I, it w- I was helped by the, uh, by the novels. I mean, I, I looked at Ayn Rand and I looked at her resilience, and she inspired me. You know, the fact that she came to, to America and to Los Angeles, actually, with absolutely nothing, um, no friends. She didn't know the language. She was a foreigner. Uh, and she uh, she had a vision. she stuck to it, and she braved incredible criticism again, this is she came to the country six years after women got the right to vote. so add that wow. kind of being such a man's world, and people just you know uh did not want to hear what she had to say. She was a skunk at the garden party, everybody's toasting communism and with champagne, and, and she's like no it's evil it, it kills people and that was not a popular message but so uh and yet she she had a life of fulfillment because she really could see that she made an incredible difference and i think left the world a far far better place than than she found it so but i also think you know just i mean people confuse libertarianism with libertinism and so um to me a philosophy founded on the self, on rationality, on reason, on perspective, means also taking care of your self, and that is physical health uh, as well as mental health. So I like to say that enjoying yourself is not destroying your self. So that um, having physical health, exercise, your diet, uh, and pride—pride pride in your appearance—is um, is really essential to to being able to have the mental stamina to create mm-hmm. and to withstand.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm just thinking you're a gorgeous blonde woman. Did that have a negative or positive impact on? your career in the world uh you know i i <laughs> well I, I didn't have any
1: great career careers model so I, I guess i failed in that uh that respect but um but i i think that it's um it's it's been mixed i'm You know, uh, I definitely haven't tried to make myself look any worse. (laughs) And I I still do try to make myself look better. So I think overall, rationally, I think it's it's a plus. Um, It can sometimes uh, get you in the door. Um, But then (laughs) you're in the door and you're like, well, no, I didn't come here for that. (laughs) I came here to Mm -hmm. talk Ayn Rand. Uh, And I think, you know, as a young woman, I needed to kind of. Uh, learn how to put off the the right vibes, and I had an experience um, very early on when I was in um, uh, at Harvard of uh, a real sexual harassment by one of my professors who was responsible for my um, for, for grading my thesis, and wow. uh, I I just I mean I was like 18 19 years old I was such a kid. But that experience then made me realize that I needed to be, I needed to have better depth perception. That I that I didn't realize. Wow! Oh, I have this powerful thing, this 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 sex appeal, Um, and I just need to make sure that I
0: understand,
1: you know, what it is and and how it's being portrayed and and, you know how how to 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 use it and how to um, control it.
0: Yeah, it was friendly. I went to Yale and I was acquainted um, years ago in my with a, a woman who was acquainted with another Yale in my year. And she was a tall, gorgeous, blonde Texan, just an absolutely gorgeous, sexy woman. And I remember her saying she got off the bus from Houston or wherever she was from it, in New Haven and all the girls at Yale hated her.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: and I... I always thought about that because she was really, you know, she was like you, this really gorgeous blonde creature. And um, and, I, and I thought about that, that sometimes people think that, you know, beautiful women aren't listened to um, because they're beautiful. Then there's also the thing where they can be discriminated against by other women. So that's I don't that's know true. That. I know that's
1: definitely true and that is what I was alluding to in the you know um playground that I was experiencing uh that all of a sudden because of, of the way I looked or the way I dressed uh that I was being ostracized and put on trial I was actually put on trial and there was an IHJ club created and no one was allowed to speak to me. It was kind of like David Aww. Kelly in, like, the 1960s and 70s. But anyway, um, so, you know, I, and I, I realized that over the years, and I've uh, I've also seen it in, in data. It's been very interesting. There was a study that showed that um, for HR purposes that when people put their application in, uh, they would have, the, the study had applications, resumes with people's pictures, and they had a picture with a plain-looking woman, and then they had a picture with a really, like, super beautiful-looking woman. And that the, um, the, 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 the plain-looking woman was getting more interviews for the exact same resume and experience. Now, why was that? It was in part because uh at least I concluded, and I think the authors did as well that we you know we still have some um evolutionary uh holdover and uh the the h r personnel is primarily women, it's still a women dominated field, and for them to see that you know on on a basic level it might not even be rational that they have scarce resources, including male attention, and that if they're going to bring uh, a woman in who's going to attract uh, the male attention, that somehow they would have less uh, agency or less power. So mm. I, I think, again, wanting to also that when you see somebody that has a difference than, than you, rather than just saying, okay, you're different than me, uh, you say that you're having something better than me, or you're having something more than me, You, the only reason you have that is somehow you must have taken it away from me, which is completely mm-hmm. irrational. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's another meme that I wanted an anti-envy campaign to say, you know, my being smart doesn't make you dumb. My being mm-hmm. thin doesn't make you fat. My being mm-hmm. pretty doesn't make you ugly. My being mm-hmm. rich, although I'm not, <laughs> doesn't make you poor. So, you know, I think that uh, envy is, is the curse and cancer of the world, and we need to call it out in politics, on the playground, everywhere that we see it, in the workplace. And, uh, and, and that's really what the focus should be. And, and I, I think that, yeah, we shouldn't be arrogant. Uh, we should be kind and um, polite, but we should also take pride in ourselves and not mm-hmm. make other people have us feel bad because of our virtues and the things
0: we've worked very hard to create. Yeah. I I never think much about envy. It's just not, but I guess it's, it's real. And I get, I'm sort of naive about it. I suppose I did have an awakening that I, you know, I was tangled up with someone for 20 years who treated me badly. And, and his reasoning was he treated me badly because I deserved to be treated badly And at a certain point in my late 30s, I woke up and realized, no, he treats me badly because he's that way. It's about him, not about me. Mm, Really? And that was this sort of moment when, and my whole life started to shift. And really, Mm. very, very few of the people who I was friends with from before I was 37 or 38 are still in my life, and a whole new set of people have come in, mostly because there were so many people in my life who treated me badly and wanted me to believe that it was because i deserved it and the, and there was this awakening and i said nope you're disrespectful towards me because you're a disrespectful person you're contemptuous of me because you're a contemptuous person you know you're kind of a mean nasty friend to me if you call it friendship because that's who you are and and all of the most of almost 90% of those people have fallen away and then the people who have come into my life since then are so much more supportive and so much kinder and I don't get the nasty put downs even from so-called friends Right? Because mm-hmm. I had to do I don't know how that relates to envy other than that I woke up and said nope I don't deserve that in my life and that's about you not about me but I don't know when you're a kid in a school ground you know it's really hard to you know it's really hard to have that awakening or or even to do anything about it. Yeah, it is especially
1: hard when the dominant culture is that of political correctness. So my parents, who I am extremely, extremely close with, I, you know, see them every weekend if I can. But, you know, they they're really have drunk the, the Kool-Aid of, of the, the, uh, the the liberal narrative. And so when I was getting bullied by... Kids that were being bussed out and uh, be, wanting to beat me up or putting me on trial or stealing my little sports sack or whatever. Um, my parents' response was not to, well, you know what, I'm, we're going down to that or to the school and we're going to get that kid expelled. They're like, well, why don't you invite the kid over for dinner? And we'll just, you know, have a conversation about, like, what is it that we're doing that is making you feel so bad? And I was mm-hmm. like, I This kid in my house, they're going to kill me in my sleep. So, you know, I really had to kind of come to it on on my own. And it was then actually that I I became a writer. Because when you have a, you know, when you're in third grade and you have everybody who won't talk to you, um, and uh, you've been put on trial for being uh, conceited, which is sort of kid's speak for having self esteem. Um, mm-hmm. Then I would just write letters to myself. I would write letters to myself all day long, and I just would write obsessively. and And unfortunately, I don't have those anymore because they burned up. But I would I would write out, and just my connection of my hand on the pencil, and the lead pencil on the page, and just a kind of a, a stream of consciousness um, was what kept me, you know, sane.
0: Mm. Mm. That's a a wonderful way to handle it. How did you start writing, Tracy? I went, when I was six years old, I went in a couple of months from reading C-Spot Run to reading big novels. And the first novel I read was a novel called Angel Unaware. It was about a child who was an angel who had died, was watching his family from heaven. And I was thunderstruck by the poignance of this and decided I want to do this. I want to write this way and make people feel the way I feel. It's so amazing, but thank you for asking <laughs> that's That was it when the time I was six, I was thunderstruck mm. well i love
1: your I love your books, and I, you know what I really love in particular, your trailers are
0: so amazing, and oh, uh your no, ideas you. i use a I use a company that does a great trailer. they're called Book Candy Studios. uh-huh.
1: So, I, And I want to thank you for all of the advice which I, I hope to put into practice someday about all of the sophisticated things that you do um, to market your books and take advantage of the digital age in which we live and the democratized marketplace.
0: And so I hope to apply some of that to Atlas Shrugged and, and Rand's works as well. Well, thank you. Well, should we go back? Do you want to tell us about some of the upcoming events in the Atlas Society and how people can um, – you know get see you online or or um, read more about ayn rand and the atlas society
1: sure well i would say best place to go for for updates will be our atlas society twitter and facebook page um but i also if you're on instagram please follow us at the atlas society on instagram Uh, i also have my own feed on instagram um, and Twitter, which is Jen Anju Grossman j e n a n j u Grossman, and then I have um, for my property a account called Scorpius like a Scorpio, but a female Scorpio uh, and some of the upcoming events that we have we have uh, in on uh, December fifteenth we have a uh, award ceremony, a small award ceremony at Washington, in Washington, D.C., where I know you and, and Sabin will be there. We're going to be honoring some of the um, winners of the Atlas Art Contest, which received over 400 entries. And so uh, we'll also be screening our next two Draw My Life videos of Hank Reardon and Dagny Taggart. Uh, and then right following that on December 16th, 17th, 18th. The Atlas Society will be at the Turning Point USA Winter Activists Retreat, and that'll be done in Palm Beach. So any high school students, college students that you know, please have them come and find us there. Um, we'll let them know how they can start Objectivist Clubs on their campus or also how they can sign up for one of the uh, movie screenings that we're gonna be doing in the spring. Um, they can also sign up for one of our uh, virtual reading groups. And uh, then the next event will be end of, um, end of January. Jeffrey Tucker and I, well, Jeffrey Tucker will be interviewing Ayn Rand. So I'm dressing up as Ayn Rand <laughs> and doing my Ayn Rand impression. And he'll be interviewing me uh, from... Palm Beach, and uh, we're partnering with Students for Liberty on that. So that'll be broadcast out uh, to a a bunch of different college campuses. And we're excited for that. And right after that, in February, we are the sponsors of the 10th annual Students for Liberty conference in Washington, D.C. And we'll have an exhibit of uh, some of our art contest finalists. And we'll show all of our videos. And, um, and that will be phenomenal. And then in July, Freedom Fest, 10th Annual Freedom Fest in Las Vegas. And we're a sponsor of that. And Mark Skelson, who's the founder of Freedom Fest, will be dressing up as Ben Franklin and debating Ayn Rand, again me. So that will be a lot of fun. And we're doing a boot camp on day one of yeah. Freedom Fest with uh, with all these college kids so it'll be uh, it'll be a lot of fun but definitely stay tuned to uh, our Facebook page our website go to the site sign up for our newsletter and, uh, and
0: and we'll hook you up well we only have about three minutes left so do you want to say something you know any last words of advice about Ayn Rand or objectivism or something you've learned along the way if your really fascinating journey
1: Yes, I would say that the two most important qualities that I have found have served me well in my life have been adaptability, how quickly can you adapt, how easily can you adapt to the new set of circumstances around you, resilience, which is how can you bounce back, you know, when something bad happens to you. My dad would say, oh, Jag, she's always going to land on her feet. And I'm like, mm-hmm. stop saying that, Dad. My feet are starting to get sore. And then mm-hmm. I, I guess I would just add to that the, the one that I had mentioned earlier, which is uh, – relying on yourself for your self-esteem and not looking to others for um, your opinion of yourself. And I really feel that reading Ayn Rand could be a a great part of that. Atlas Shrugged, Fountainhead, they're big books, they're big asks. They're also on um, audio, so I, I think that's a great option. But if you're just looking for, like, the starter book, Anthem is my favorite book, and We the Living is the first Kind of autobiographical novel that she wrote about her experience in, in Russia as a teenager, and those were two two good places to start.
0: That's awesome. And can you tell us um, quickly where people can see those videos, the Drawing Your Life videos?
1: Yeah. So go to our Facebook page under the videos. You'll see that uh, you'll see the Draw My Life video. It's four minutes long. It's with a really bad Russian accent, for which I take total responsibility. <laughs> <Let's> <laughs> but but that this that is that like going back great, to how, how you were saying, yeah, you can do things on a low budget, but you know, you do get what you pay for. And uh, hey, but no, it's, it's a
0: fun video. Uh,
1: it's it's fun, and it's gotten over eleven thousand shares. One point, actually, I think two or three, if you count in all the other platform million views. And thousands of comments, so please share it with people. And then that is also where we'll be debuting our, our next two videos, and, and that'll probably be uh, around Christmas time and then in January.
0: Well, and Pastor, I would say so for
1: those who uh, you know, are already familiar with Ayn Rand and, and believe that it's an important message, believe that it needs to be shared in creative new ways with the next generation, then please support us. You know, these things do cost money. And so um, so we really would appreciate if you'd uh, go in. It's the end of the year. Everybody's doing their end of the year um, budgeting for their philanthropy. So it would be great if you uh, put a present under the tree for, for Atlas
0: Society. Jennifer, thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Thank you, Tracy. I'll see you soon. Okay, okay
0: bye. That was the amazing Jennifer Grossman. Please do go to theatlassociety.org. Talk to you next week. This has been Tracy L. Slatten on the Independent Artists and Thinkers Network. Thanks for joining us. Come back next week.